I'm going to be mostly in the gospel this morning. For those of you who have been around a while, this is the travel narrative as Yeshua is going on his way to Jerusalem for the crucifixion. There are a number of things that take place. The section we're in right now is sort of a running gun battle between Yeshua and the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers and so forth. And it has to do with the fact that they have become corrupt. They aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. It's important to understand that everybody in this series, and especially everybody in today's reading, is a believer. He's not dealing with pagans. He's not dealing with people who don't believe in God. Everybody here believes in God. And furthermore, everybody here believes that he is doing what God would have him to do. So if you were to walk up to one of these Pharisees or one of these scribes and say, in fact, that's what happens. When Yeshua sort of lays a stripe on the Pharisees, the scribes say, hey, wait a minute, you're insulting us too. What did we do? And then he, of course, proceeds to go after them. But their attitude is, we are doing what we're supposed to do. We are doing the Lord's work. We are believers in God. Why are you upset with us? And as you fast forward to where we are today, most of you have been in churches where the preacher will just roundly condemn the Pharisees. And the preacher will go after Pharisaism and legalism and all that kind of stuff, and they'll just get righteously indignant. What I will suggest to you is that we are dealing with people who have exactly the same attitude as the scribes and the Pharisees did then. Now, what do I mean? We had an elders meeting, and one of the things that came up in the meeting is, we're talking too much about politics. They want to hear more about Jesus. What I will suggest to you is, Yeshua himself talks about politics more than he talks about anything else. That is the main thing he talks about, and that's what he's talking about today. Because what he's doing in today's gospel reading is he is dealing with the political leaders of Israel, and he is saying to them, you aren't being good stewards of your charge. In fact, the Bible is almost entirely political. I'm going to read you a letter. The letter is from the proconsul to the cities of Asia. The letters to the Galatians and, and all those kinds of things are all letters to the churches in Asia. So anyway, this is from the Roman proconsul to the cities of Asia, which is to say the cities over which he has responsibility. And it's written in 9 BC. Whereas the providence which has guided our whole existence and which has shown such care and liberality has brought our life to the peak of perfection in giving to us Augustus Caesar, whom it, providence, filled with virtue for the welfare of mankind, and who being sent to us and to our descendants as a savior, has put an end to war and has set all things in order. And whereas, having become visible, Caesar has fulfilled the hopes of all earlier times, not only in surpassing all the benefactors who preceded him, but also in leaving to his successors no hope of surpassing him. Whereas, finally, that the birthday of the God, that is Caesar, has been for the whole world the beginning of the gospel concerning him, therefore let all reckon a new era beginning from the date of his birth and let his birthday mark the beginning of the new year. 
So this is the letter from the proconsul to the cities in Asia, which says that the god, Augustus, or the son of God, Augustus, because they deified Caesar, has a gospel. So what you have in official Roman literature is the gospel of Caesar, and Caesar is the son of God. So when Yeshua comes on the scene, and Yeshua is declared as the son of God, what Yeshua is doing is going head to head with the Roman Empire. That's an intensely political activity. What Yeshua is doing by proclaiming himself the Son of God is saying that the Emperor Augustus, who is also proclaimed as the Son of God, is a fake. That's a political statement. One of the reasons that secularists don't like the Bible is because it is an intensely practical political manual. What it does is it tells you how to execute politics and how to organize yourselves so that you prosper. Your nation prospers and your people prosper. That's all political. And people hate it because of that. And that's why they don't want you to use the Bible as authority or reference for anything in the political realm because it flies directly in the face of what they're trying to sell as Yeshua sent out his disciples, last thing he says to them, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpent and as innocent as doves. And what that saying is, I want you to be wise in the ways of the world. I want you to understand how politics works. I want you to be skillful in changing the political discourse around to something that's pleasing to God. I want you to be innocent as to evil, which is to say, I do not want you in that process to become evil, but understand that we are sent into this world for purposes of changing the world so that it lines up with the Word of God. The majority of the church in the United States has quit doing that. They are not doing what God told them to do. One of the things that the modern church does is it says, well, we got to separate politics from salvation. What I will suggest to you is that salvation is actually a fairly minor subject in the Bible. Now, don't get me wrong, it's a big deal. I'm not speaking against it. But as far as the amount of ink goes in the Bible, it's a very small subject. In fact, when the lawyer comes to Yeshua and says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And then we have the story of the Good Samaritan. One of the things that's interesting is, again, everybody in that story is a believer. There are no pagans there at all. It's all among Jews. And so lawyer comes and says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Notice that he does not say, is there eternal life? He simply says, what do I do to get it? And Yeshua, by the way, doesn't do theology, does something practical, says, love God, love your neighbor, and then gives an example. So as they're talking, there isn't any question in anybody's mind that eternal life exists. That's not a subject to the story. The question is, how do I get it, not does it exist? And what I will suggest to you is the emphasis on eternal life is from Paul. And what Paul is doing is explaining the Word of God to Gentiles who don't understand anything. So Paul spends a lot of ink talking about eternal life, and properly so. 
because his audience doesn't understand the concept. Yeshua spends very little time talking about eternal life because his audience does understand the concept. So as you read the scripture, you'll find that there's really very little emphasis on what the modern church spends a lot of time on, which is salvation and eternal life and and so forth. Yeah, it's there, and it's important, and it's a big deal, but the Bible doesn't talk much about it. As I say, until you get to Paul, and we got to then explain everything to a Gentile, and okay, then we got a lot of theological passages to explain the concept. You know, Romans spends a lot of ink on that, which is entirely good. I'm not knocking Paul, and I'm not knocking salvation. I'm simply saying that the Bible doesn't spend a lot of ink on it. But the modern church spends an inordinate amount of time on that subject. And the question I have for you and I hope to answer is why? Why does the modern church spend most of its bandwidth dealing with salvation when the Bible itself spends most of its bandwidth dealing with politics? You've got to disconnect. You've got to disconnect between the modern church and its emphasis and what the Bible itself emphasizes. Let me start with a passage in Deuteronomy. And I'm in Deuteronomy 4.5. I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who when they hear all these statutes will say surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What is he talking about? Politics. How do we organize ourselves and how do we live? That's the subject of politics, isn't it? And what Moses is saying is, I have given you a political framework here. Go into the land, be faithful to this political framework that I have given you, and the nations will look upon you and say, wow, this is a wise and understanding people. So the whole point of Deuteronomy is political. And yes, it involves obedience to God. Yes, it involves all of the things that we think of. But by the way, taking care of the poor is political. Politics is simply how do we live together? How do we organize ourselves? What rules do we follow? That's what politics is. And that's the subject of most of the bandwidth in the Bible. So the question becomes, why doesn't the modern church engage in politics? And in fact, if you pay attention to the history of the country, preachers have been involved in politics since before the revolution. In fact, the revolution was in great measure fueled and started by preachers. Abolition, the abolition of slavery, one of the great political questions in this country, tore the country apart. We had a civil war over it. That was entirely driven by preachers. In other words, there has been a history of preachers talking about the issues of the day in this country with the intention of moving people to political action. That's our heritage. That's our history. The fact that we don't do that actually goes back to Woodrow Wilson. Before the Internal Revenue Service and the income tax, church taxation was not a real question because all taxes were raised by excise taxes and tariffs. 
and the church wasn't involved in any of that stuff, so taxes were not a question. There was no income tax, period. When we had an income tax, suddenly things changed. You have now the government rooting around in your personal business, and they get to decide what's tax deductible and what's not. And over a period of years, culminating with Johnson, there were laws passed which said that a church's activities, as long as they were not political, were tax-exempt. But as soon as a church became political, spoke on the issues of the day with the intention of moving people to action, that was declared not tax-exempt. And by the way, there is an exception. And the exception is black churches in the South. I'm very serious, because they tend to vote Democrat. So nobody complains. And it's like the IRS. If the IRS complains, you've got a problem. If the IRS doesn't complain, you don't have a problem. It's sort of like uh, the business with Lois Lerner, where the IRS was suppressing conservative groups. There's unequal application of the laws. I'll do a digression here. When Ray and I and the elders that were there then put this church together, we started off on the path to become a 501c3. And I was the guy that was charged with doing the research. How do we do this? What forms do we need to fill out? What, how do we become a 501c3? We're going to be a church. All churches are 501c3s. How do we do this? So I went out and did some research to figure out how it was, and I ran into some church in Indiana, which decided it no longer wanted to be a 501c3, so the IRS came in and took all their property and all their building from it. And I said, wait a minute. And then when I looked at the IRS website, it turns out that you are tax-exempt whether you're a 501c3 or not. All the 501c3 does is prevents you from being harassed by the IRS to prove that you are a legitimate church to prove that you are a state church. So I came back to the elders and I said, I'm not sure we want to do this. And so we prayed about it and we decided we didn't. So we are not a 501c3, which is one of the reasons we deal in cash. We just don't mess with them, which means that we can say anything we want. Go back to our Pharisees now. What's the problem with the Pharisees? Yeshua says it. Woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. So the Pharisees have become entangled with the things of the world. The things that they consider important are the things of the world. There will be other conflicts between the Pharisees and Yeshua as we go on in this series of readings. And what he says is, you guys have been trapped by money. And what I will suggest is that preachers in today's church have been trapped by money. And what the government has succeeded in doing is saying, all right, if you don't talk about what we want you to talk about, we will take your money. And what that has done is it's changed the preaching emphasis of the church. And whereas the Bible talks about political stuff more than anything else, the church can't talk about that anymore. So what the church does is spends a whole lot of time talking about salvation. And again, don't get me wrong, salvation is a big deal. 
I am not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that salvation is not a big deal. But salvation is sort of one and done. You get somebody to come into the kingdom of God, you get him to have a relationship with God, his salvation is fine. God then has a policy of once you come in, he'll do whatever it takes to keep you there. That's God's policy. So if you spend all of your bandwidth talking about something that everybody already has, you are wasting your time. And the reason they do that is because they are not allowed to speak about the things in the Bible that the Bible thinks are important. Whether you have a king or whether you have a democracy or whether you have whatever, that's not particularly important. What's particularly important is that you are able to talk about the things that God thinks are important. We can't do that. Government has usurped over a period of years things that ought to be done by the church. And the church has allowed that to happen because the church has been shut up. And so, for example, somewhere in the 60s, we had a court ruling about the separation of church and state, which ran prayer out of schools. Had the churches been allowed to speak politically, that wouldn't have lasted 20 minutes. But the churches were not allowed to speak politically, or put it another way. The preachers in the churches did not speak politically. And the reason they didn't, because they were afraid of losing money. And they were afraid that their congregants would lose their tax deduction. Now, what's happened is our theology has changed. For example, most of you all know that I'm not a rapture guy. And if you are, God bless you, you're welcome here, we'll do lunch and everything is fine, nobody gets grumpy. But I'm not. I don't see a pattern for it in the Bible. What I see a pattern for is Exodus, where God gets his people out of the way, puts them in Goshen or somewhere, and then deals with the world. That's the pattern I see. If I'm wrong, you can explain it to me on the way up. (laughs) If you're wrong, come out to my tent in the wilderness and I'll explain it to you. It'll be okay. But the point is, my personal opinion is, Rapture theory encourages people to be disengaged from politics because you sort of look at everything going to hell, and it is, and, well, it's really bad, I'm going to be out of here. Instead of, this is something I have to engage with and fix to the best of my ability. So what I'm suggesting to you is this whole state church business that we're involved in affects our theology, it affects our culture, and everything else. Now, one of the things that the dominant culture will say is we have a separation of church and state. That is a religious concept. The idea of free speech is a religious concept. Islam does not have that concept. That's a concept that comes from Christianity and Judaism. And it's written into our constitution. So when someone comes and tells you that you've got to separate government from religion, they are talking in terms of religion, because Judeo-Christianity is the only religion I know of that does that. When I say, you have the right to speak your mind, you have the right to worship as you wish, the dominant culture will say that that's a secular concept. It is not. It is a religious concept. That concept was written into the Constitution by people who are 
believers in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they got that set of words from religious concepts, and it is a religious concept that's written into the Constitution. If you were to go to Iran and say, I have a right to speak my mind, they will say, no, you don't. We don't understand that concept. Now, you all can be Democrats, you all can be Republicans, I don't care. But what I'm telling you is the country is going to hell, and it doesn't matter whether you travel in the right lane or the left lane. The road leads to the same place. So, what's all this mean to you? One of the things that Satan has been very successful with is convincing people that he does not exist. One of the things that the government has been very successful with is convincing people that the Bible is not an appropriate reference, not an appropriate subject in political discourse. So if you argue with somebody and you bring up scripture, what we said to you is, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's religion, that's separate from government. And what I'm encouraging you is, that's not true. Do not accept that argument. Just like when you say to somebody, the devil X, Y, or Z, and they say, well, that's just all superstition. Don't engage in the conversation on that level. So, as you engage in discourse, and I expect all of you to be politically active, understand that your source is Scripture. Their source is also Scripture, but they won't admit it. That goes back to my freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and so forth. The source there is also Scripture. They just won't admit that it's Scripture. But understand that the source of all governance in the United States is Scripture. And get back to discussing the subject on the basis of Scripture. Now, I will close by saying vote for anybody you want, but Hillary Clinton is a minion of Satan. Please consider becoming a sponsor. Please visit crimsonthread.com purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you. Let us shine.